Good morning, everyone. Have not stood in this position since February. Yeah, nine months. Enough to have a new baby come out. So, looking forward to today. Um, Pastor Doug said in the beginning of the service, even before we started, he said um, that you are a living testimony. That's what I wanted to talk about today without speaking to him, is that you are a living testimony. And you carry something so powerful. You yourself are powerful, but the testimony that you carry is so powerful. So not just you being a powerful being, but the testimony that you carry is so powerful. So today the... um, the heading, because we have to hand in a heading or a, a topic, uh, I believe I said this week would be called, What Are People Reading? That is the, there we go, What Are People Reading? Thank you, Zach. What Are People Reading? The title of today's sermon. So if we start off in Second Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 to 3, 2 Corinthians 3. Paul writes, he says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Do you realize that people are reading you? All the time. In any circumstance, situation that you find yourself, people are reading you. You're a book. You're an epistle. So my question is, what are people reading? Isn't that good? Yeah. What are people reading? So, known and read by all men, clearly, You are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit. Not ink, but by the Spirit. So my question to you is, what is the Spirit writing to you and about you? So that when people read you, they can see, oh, this is what Holy Spirit has written and said about rifle. Not ink, not people's ideas, not people's thoughts, not what man says, but what the Holy Spirit is writing on your life. Now my question is, because I can stand in a, A Baptist church, Presbyterian church, Seventh-day Adventist. The next question then begs, what is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? How does Spirit interact with us? What is the Holy Spirit's will for my life? And you can get different wills in different churches. So my question is, what are people reading about God, the Holy Spirit, when they see and read you? Is it a book when they see and read you that they say, man, I want to have the same author as that person? 
or when they read you, do they say, wow, that person spends so much time praying and reading this Bible and going to church, and his life is just as terrible as the people who don't even go to church. Do you want that spirit to be your author? So he carries on. Through the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when people read you, they can see what spirit, what you believe spirit has placed in your heart, and that is now what they are seeing or reading or hearing coming forth from your mouth. My question today, what are people reading? When you interact with someone and you leave their presence, when you turn around, do they say, man, there's some things in my life that have to change because if this God that that person and that book that I've just read is true and he did it for them, why won't he do it for me? If that testimony of that book is one of my life was such a mess, but now it is the way it is because of this spirit and the author writing on my heart, why will he not change my life's story? What are people reading? Epistle. You know, we hear that word, dictionary, epistle. It's a poem or other literary work in the form of a letter or series of letters. Because you see, my life is a series of letters, literally. The letters that I produced, not good. Oh my goodness, I can tell you some bad letters that were written. When people read me, wow, not good. But they've changed, and they're still changing. So, volume one, not good. (laughs) Volume one, not good at all. But man, whatever volume I am now, it's getting better. And when people read this book and they hear this story and they compare it to the previous volumes, they can definitely see, wow, it's moving in one direction. And that is in a good way up, up the mountain so we can be with him so he can teach his ways to us. So it's a series, it says here, or a book of the New Testament in the form of a letter from an apostle. You're an apostle. People are reading you. Psalm 139, verse 16, famous scripture here. We know this. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book... They were written. There's a book that has your name on it. And it was written before you even arrived here. It was set aside. It was put in the archives of heaven's library with your name on. That must be some amazing, amazing library. I remember back at school when we had real libraries, when you had the little cards and you had the names on them and you had to go A, 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 B, A, B, A, B, C, 
There was no phones. There was no not, none of this. You literally, it was a treasure hunt going into the library and looking for that book that you're searching for. And in heaven, I know heaven has all technology, but I think God still has that old library. I haven't been there, never been, can't tell you what it looks like. Heard people saying what heaven is like. I've not been there, so I'll take their word for it. But I believe that that library, you're going to walk in there and there are going to be books. And you're going to start with A and you're going to go, Adam. You're going to read Adam's story that God wrote about him. Not what Adam made the story to be, but God's story of Adam. And it's going to look very different from the life that Adam lived. And then you go to B and you go to C until you get your name. And you're going to pick it out. And there's going to be a series, Rifle Chapter 1, Rifle Volume 2. And it's going to go on. And there's a book about each and every one. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were written, the days fashioned for me. When as yet, there were none of them. So I'm talking about this book that is written that people read you. This week on Wednesday, every Wednesday, I'm the chaplain at Ford Trucking Motor Company, and I was speaking to one of the receptionists there. And I was asking her about Thanksgiving and what, what she's going to do with the family. And she said that she's grateful her son was going to come and visit. And, and then we got into a, a deeper conversation. And she was talking about how she loves the water, the ocean, the beach, the sand. And she said, you know, I, I prayed a prayer. And she said, now, I know we don't pray for this kind of stuff. I get it. I understand that. But I just prayed that I could, that I could touch the sea sand again and be at the water. And that was, that was sad. Because as I'm reading that book, the author of that book was not really good. The author of that book, who, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, everything belongs to him. He will give you the desires of your heart. Just don't pray for the small things that you really desire and you want because you're wasting my time with that. And I, I, I believe there's a time and a place for everything, so I didn't want to get in it with her, with people standing around. But I left there quite sad, thinking about, I don't want that author to write my story. I don't. Because if this author is so amazing and he's so loving and kind and gentle, and by the way, this author in his own book says that while we were still sinners, while we were without hope, he gave us everything. That's the author I'm reading. So now that author is saying to this lady, just because you like the ocean, don't bring it up to me. I'm too busy. I've got, I got bigger things to deal with. And that was not the author that I want people to see when they read my life. I want a different author to write my story. So... God is, is, is the best storyteller that there is. He's, he's just, he's, he's good in everything, but he's an amazing storyteller. Pastor Doug was saying, my dad is here. There's my dad. 
He's an amazing storyteller. Really. I can remember growing up as a kid, sitting on his lap, sitting around him, and doesn't matter how many times he told the same story, we would always say, tell it again. One more time. Tell us a story about, and, and he'd tell us a story. And he'd tell a story. And that's a little part of God that my dad inherited. He didn't have to come up with that. He didn't have to make it happen. God just took that little part of God and he placed it in my dad. He's an amazing storyteller. But he gets that from God. And the stories that he told when he was growing up, I will talk to my dad about stocks and different things that are happening now. Um, Things that we didn't have 20 years ago. My dad is nearly 80. So I'll tell him about 5G and blockchain and Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency. And, and he's like, he, he, he'll slow down. Do you realize that I went to school barefoot? And this is serious. Not like barefoot both ways uphill, you know, that whole story. <laughs> this is serious. My dad would say, I went to school barefoot riding on a donkey on the little farm that I grew up. And you talking to me about blockchain. 5G, what is 4G, where's 3G, what is 1, what is G? But the stories that he could tell is just so amazing. But he gets that from God. And Jesus spoke in parables, and a parable is not a story, it's something that people tell just to explain something. People say there was a sower, he sows the word, some falls on this ground. But there's no emotion involved in a parable. It's just a lesson. People were farmers. There's a guy who had a vineyard. People came to work. He paid them so much money. Yeah, we can relate to that. But then there are times when there's emotion in a story. And when it becomes really, really emotional, it becomes personal. And that's why I believe so many things in the Bible could have been so much shorter. But there's certain things in there to make us see what really took place so that we can get the emotion of the moment and we can be drawn into that specific encounter without being there physically at that time and place. Why Why does the Bible say they plucked out Jesus' beard? Did we need to know that? Could have just skipped that whole part. He went to the cross. They beat him. They ripped open. They didn't have to say they pulled out his beard. That didn't have to be there. But when somebody close to you and you hear an emotional story about someone and you get dragged into that and you can see that the emotion now becomes real and you can be there right now in 2020 when this happened 2,000 years ago. So God has a lot of these stories in the Bible that he tells so that our emotions will become awakened to whatever happened And then we can really feel close and become one in that story. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you've been in church any time, you know this account. And in this account, there is a story. This is one of my favorite parts in the Bible. I just love the way God tells a story. He's amazing. 2 Samuel 12, 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, there were were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. 
It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare for uh, one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan turned around and he said basically to David, he said, David, you're this man. This is you I'm talking about. You realize that story could have been two lines. He was a rich man. He was a poor man. This guy took the poor man's lamb. End. Could end there. But just put yourself into the see this now. Go into the story and, and see what he's actually writing. Let's go to the beginning. Let's go back there. Zach, please. Then the Lord said, Nathan, to David, there were two men in a city, rich and poor, exceedingly many flocks. If you have many flocks, that's, yeah, you know, you've got a lot. How much is exceedingly many flocks? It's like when God comes to Abraham and he says, I am your exceeding great reward. He didn't have to say that. He could just say, hey, Abe, I'm your reward. No, God is just so much bigger. So he comes, he had exceedingly many flocks and herds. Poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. Grew up together with him. Can you see him holding this little thing in his house? It's just it's the whitest of white. Have you ever held a little lamb? Have you ever? And, and he goes on and he tells a story. And he, he, he bought it and he nourished. He didn't just give it food. He nourished this animal. And it grew up together with him and with his children. Not just with him, him and his kids. So they're all in one house. It just gets better and better. This story goes deeper and deeper. It ate of his, oh my goodness, his own food. And didn't just drink, he drank from his cup. I hope they didn't brew beer in those days. But this little ewe drank from his own cup. Can you see him sitting around the table and everyone got these and he's got this little. And this ewe is drinking from his cup and nourished from his food. And lay in his bosom. He didn't just put him in the corner on a little mat. He lay in his bosom where he went. This little ewe lamb. And it was like a, not a son. When a son falls down, bam, get up. Wipe it off. Like a daughter to him, a little girl. This ewe was like a daughter. Traveler came and, and he tells a story. And, and obviously now David gets very, very upset. I mean, would you not be if someone told you that story? And David says, man, this, this, this guy needs to die. Nathan says, I'm sorry, David, but man, that's you. And immediately he repents and he knows what it's about, but God is such an amazing storyteller that when you, you read this story that you become emotionally involved. 
My question is, what are people reading when they read your life? Do they see how you have been nourished? Do they see how you have been taken care of? Do they see how you are like a child in his hands and he holds you in his bosom? Or do they read another story? So David gets very angry, and we know what happens after that. Do you realize this, that Nathan could have come to David when he found out what David had done? Nathan could just have said, David, I need to talk to you. The Lord has, has called me and showed me something. And he could have said, David, you broke the law. He could have just said that. Would that not be the same as this whole story? You broke the law. David could have said, oh, you know, I did. Let me go get a, a sin offering, take a pigeon and a goat and an ox to the, to the priest and offer it over and done with. I broke the law. I'll pay for it. This is what I have to do. And end of story. Could that not have been the case? Yes. He could have come and said, you broke the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. You had Uriah murdered. You, you knew you did this. You broke the law. You're guilty. Okay, I'm guilty. Let me go pay for my sins. There's a difference when you become emotionally involved than just breaking a law, doing something wrong. And, and God wants our life to be a life of emotionally involved with him and his goodness rather than just one who's there and does right and wrong. He could have said, you broke the law. In the Bible, there's a lot about our faith. Jesus, in, um, I'll just read now. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures here for time's sake, but Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turns around and he says to this lady, be, be of good cheer, your, your faith has made you well. Matthew 9, 29, he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be done. Matthew 15, 28, Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith, let it be done as you desire. Mark 10, 52, Jesus said, go your way, your faith has made you well. So according to these scriptures, your and my faith has a lot to do with our lives. What do you believe for? Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What are you hoping for? What kind of spirit, Holy Spirit, is God that he's allowing or doing or, or making things happen in your life? Is it great? Is it good? Is it a loving, kind, gentle spirit? Or is, is it a, a know-all spirit that will do whatever he wants and he'll show you who's boss? What kind of spirit is in your life? And our faith has so much to do with the way our life plays out. And it's all throughout the Gospels that Jesus says, your faith, because of what you believed. He says in Luke 19, I believe, he comes to the guys and the one says, I hid the money. Jesus said, out of your mouth you'll be judged. You said I'm a hard taskmaster. You'll be judged by that. How you believe, your faith, whatever you believe, let it be done according to your faith. And then obviously Romans ten seventeen it says, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. What have you heard about God? That's why Jesus says, be very, very careful about you. Listen to and what you watch. What are you listening to? What have people told you? What mindset do you have framed up in your life because of what people have told you? This is God. That's God. This is how God works. Because we all have a frame of mind that other people put in place in our mindsets. What do you believe about God according to what you have heard and what people have told you? Last verse, I believe, Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Been in church any time, you understand, you know this verse. This verse, can you take this verse as it is and apply it to your life 100%? No. Can you take certain parts and aspects of this verse and apply it to your life? I believe most certainly yes. Not each and every one of us were called to be a prophet to the nations. Some of us were called to be a mom raising kids in your house. Some of us were called to be a teacher at an elementary school just around the corner. You're not called to the nation, but each of us have been called to do something very specific, and that's why you are here. And only you can do what you can. No one else can do what you can do. That's the reason you are written. That's the reason this book is living and active here today. But I want to look at that word new, and I've done this before, but I think it plays into what we're looking at today. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So new, that word new, in the strong Strong's Concordance is H3045. It's the Hebrew word yada. That word yada means this, the following, to know, to perceive, to know by experience, to recognize, to be acquainted with, to declare, to be made known, to make oneself known. That's what that word means. So God says to, to you, because you can put your name in there. You, you may not be a prophet, but God can say, Rifle, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to be a so-and-so to so-and-so. But the fact that he knew you, the fact that that word knew means this relationship of knowing. Can we go to Genesis chapter 4 quickly, Zach? Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. And Adam knew his wife Eve. That word knew there is exactly the same word as the word knew in Jeremiah 1.5. There is no closer relationship than this word new. It means the most intimate of relationships that there possibly is. That's the same. So Adam knew his wife. And out of that, something else was brought forth. God intimately knew you. 
And out of that, something else was brought forth. So now my question is, if God knew us in such an intimate way, how do we live our lives today? Because you see, I was watching Joanna's kids during, during worship, and they're praising and they're worshiping and they're having fun and they, they're up and down here, and it's wonderful. And the one goes up on stage and she goes to get the child, brings the little baby back down. And you can see even when she says to the child, don't go up there, the child does it again and again and again because there is an intimate relationship between the mom and the child. There's no fear. No fear. And when Joanna comes, what does a baby do? That's intimate. There's no punishment. When you go on the stage, I'll, I'll, I'll burn your hand so you don't do it again. I'll do this. And people, when they think about God, that word intimacy is, is understood in different manners and different ways. Because you see, in, in a just society, in a society where there are rules and where there are laws and things are followed and there's no corruption, if one person forces him or herself onto another human being and there is intimacy only from one side of the relationship, it's called abuse. If a man forces himself on a woman without the woman saying yes, it's called rape. And this word here, God says to you and I, before you were formed, before you even came here, there was an intimate relationship between you and I. Because intimacy comes from two sides. So somewhere, because the Bible says in Ephesians, very clear, we were found in him before the foundation of the world. There's a book written about us before the foundation of the world. Somewhere, something so amazing by this wonderful, loving, kind, and gentle father has had some intimate relationship with us, talking to us, planning our lives, everything that we need to be able to be successful for what he has called us to do. He sat down before I arrived here, and in this intimacy, face-to-face -face between him and I, that was birthed. And now sometimes our life happens, and things that are not supposed to be written, people are reading, and then we say, well, that's just the Spirit in my life, because the Holy Spirit is writing on my heart. And if you look at intimate and a loving, kind, gentle father, which he is, because we celebrated communion today where Jesus says, all of you sitting in this building today, you are born on the backside of the cross. My blood has already been spilt for all of your sins. This is the blood of the new covenant, the remission of all your sins. Now you are born. You and I are born into this covenant. How intimate is our story with the true spirit of the living God 
who knew us and dances over us today. We sang that today. Caleb sang it. He dances. He sings a new song over us. How intimate are we with that story? And when people read us, do they say, wow, I want that author to be my author. And I want people to read me like me reading you right now. And when I look at your life and where you came from and what you were and what you're believing for, because you see, our faith is very, very important. As you believe, let it be done. Because of your faith, you are healed. Your great faith has made you well. Brother and sister, what is your great faith believing for? Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. What are you hoping for? Are you hoping for something amazing? Something, uh, Ephesians 3 verse 20, greater than you can even imagine or think to happen? Or are you just, you know what, so many things have happened, I can't really believe, I don't, you know, you know I'm just, I've been this way. We have so many, can we say excuses, reasons, let me say that. We have so many reasons why our life can't be written in a way that would bring so much glory. That when people read us, they would run to our author and say, I want that person to write my book. And you can go in the Bible, you can go from the beginning, Adam, you can go, I mean, Moses steps out in the flesh, kills someone looking after sheep. Don't you think he had a reason not to free millions of God's people? And you can go after person and person in the Bible. Then you can come in, in our lifetime. Who of you in this room have an Apple product? Raise your hand. Look at that. One person who believed to just be different and that he could really, really make something that every household one day would have started a dream in a garage. And now how many people in this room are living the dream of someone who dared to believe? And you know what the, 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 the most amazing thing about this? That person didn't even believe in the intimate face-to-face relationship with his God. But his faith, not even biblical faith, his faith of I will do this, this can be done, has resulted in you and I living the dream that he dreamt many, many years ago. So if a person who doesn't have that intimate relationship could do something like that, my question is why not me? Why not you? Or do we go to the pages that are written on? Too old, don't have money, can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. Because I can tell you now, if we go back in time to that, before I knew you, before I formed you, I knew you, there was none of that written down in his book that he would say, you know what? I want to do this and this and this and this and this, but I'm not going to give you everything you need to perform it. So like that lady on Wednesday, don't pray to me about you really, really enjoying the water and the sand. That's too small for me. That's not important. No. 
every single little desire because he says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Why do you think she likes the ocean and the sand? Where does that come from? But her belief is, I can't get that. So she's living in the thing that she believes because her faith is one of, he's not involved in that. He won't give it to me because it's not important. So I hate my job here, but that's just the way it is. And one day when this is all over, then I can have it. But you and I have the opportunity to believe something different. So my question is, what is your faith out there for? What is written on a piece of paper that you can't be the next whatever dream and desire there is in your heart? Because you come from that intimate relationship that you had with the Father before time even began. I'm going to give you two minutes. I just want you to sit where you are. Just Is there something in your life where maybe, you know what, I'm not believing enough. My faith is one of, I, I can't believe for that. Why not? And change your belief right now. Say, God, man, I, now here, yeah, if this is ministering to you, Chris Blackaby said this two or three times, it just hit my heart so, so tremendously, where he said, through the foolishness of preaching, through the foolishness of preaching, here's one, if, if people read my volume one, they wouldn't want me to stand up here and speak to them. That I can tell you. But through the foolishness of preaching, maybe you're sitting here and saying, you know what, there is something in my heart that I know I can believe bigger for. There is something greater that I'm not believing for. That intimacy that, that we had before time began, I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on I can't, I can't, I can't. But he's not focusing on that. So take two minutes and take that to God. And change your faith right now through a decision to say, I'm going to step out and believe for this right now. Thank you.
take our father of faith, Abraham. Very clear. God gives him this promise. And the Bible says that when he believed the word, it was accounted to him as righteousness. He didn't have to make that word come to pass. He didn't have to wonder how is he going to do it? How is it going to happen? All he had to do was believe the word. And just in saying yes to that word, believing that word, it was accounted to him as righteousness. What is it? Just the belief of saying, I believe that can be for me. I believe that's mine. And that belief was accounted to him as righteousness. He didn't have to make it happen. All he had to say was, yes, God, I believe. That's it. A young Jewish girl receives a message from an angel. The angel says, you're going to be a mother. And she says, "That man, I, I, I don't even know a man. And the angel explains to her, not only are you going to be a mother, this child that you bear will be the savior of the world. All she had to do was believe the word brought to her. She didn't have to make it happen. She didn't have to know how everything. All she had to say was, let it be done to me according to thy word. And it happened. All you and I have to do now, this moment in time, is believe the word that God is speaking to you in your heart. That's all. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to come up with a, the plan, the idea, the finances, the nothing. All you have to say is, I believe. And it will be accounted to you as righteousness. So that thing you believing that God wants for you, all you have to say is, Father, I believe. Let it be done to me according to your word. That's accounted to you as righteousness. Just believe. Just believe. Father, we come now and we just say we believe. We thank you for the book that you have written of our life. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the author who continues writing on our hearts day by day. And right now, whatever it is that we are believing for, that you have placed in our hearts, we come together as one and we say, Father, I believe. I believe for this thing. I believe. So let this thing be done according to your word. And we thank you, Lord, for this. This is our hope. This is our Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the thing that we are hoping for. The evidence, even though it's not seen. But I say yes, and I believe. So we do give you the praise, the glory, the honor. And thank you that when people see this thing happen, Lord, and they read our story, they will say, I want your author. Who wrote your book? I want that author to write mine. So we entrust ourselves to you. We are in you. You are in us. Everything that we are, Lord, is yours. We give you all the praise. We love you. We honor you. And we thank you, Lord, for this. On this Thanksgiving week. Thank you that we are here. Thank you that seeds have been planted in our hearts today that will bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. We bless you and we thank you and we love you. And everything that we ask and pray to your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. 
Amen. Thank you very much. It's good being here again after nine months. Praise God. Just believe.